Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The wellness community recently joined forces with Gilda's Club to become the Cancer Support Community, the largest provider of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you by Millennium, Morphotech, and Novartis Oncology, we are going to talk about colorectal cancer. March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, We've invited two guests who are here with us today to talk about myths of colorectal cancer, uh, side effects, treatment, uh, support, all the things that folks with colorectal cancer need to know about. But before we jump into the topic today, we're going to move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. Regular exercise can reduce a woman's risk of cancer, but the benefits may be diminished if she gets too little sleep, researchers said on Monday. The study, involving 5,968 women, confirmed previous findings that people who do regular physical activity are less likely to develop cancer. But when the researchers looked at the women ages 18 to 65 who were in the upper half in terms of the amount of physical exercise they got per week, they found that sleep appeared to play an important role in cancer risk. Researchers discovered that those who slept less than seven hours nightly had a 47% higher risk of cancer than those who got more sleep among the physically active women. While additional studies need to be done to clarify how getting too little sleep may make one more susceptible to cancer, there is no question that getting adequate sleep has been long associated with health. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention calls sleep loss an unrecognized public health problem, saying Americans are getting less and less slumber. The CDC said the percentage of adults reporting sleeping six hours or fewer a night increased from 1985 to 2006. Sleep experts say chronic sleep loss is associated with obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, stroke, cardiovascular disease, depression, cigarette smoking, and excessive drinking. In addition, research has shown that people who get regular exercise have a reduced risk of breast, colon, and other types of cancer. Experts think the effects of exercise on the body's hormone levels, immune function, and body weight may play an important role. In other news, scientists say drugs used to control diabetes may lower the risk of prostate cancer. Recent studies have reported a decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men, although it is currently unclear whether use of anti-diabetic medication affects the association between diabetes and prostate cancer. Researchers studied a group of men that were diagnosed with prostate cancer and a group of control men without prostate cancer. The total number of subjects comprised nearly 50,000 individuals. Oral diabetes drugs were used by 7.5% of the men with prostate cancer and by 8.4% of controls. The prevalence of insulin use was 2.5% in the cases and 3% in the controls. Men who had a history of taking any diabetes medication had a 16% lower risk of prostate cancer. The decreased risk was comparable for all anti-diabetic drugs, including metaform and insulin. The investigators found that the overall risk, as well as the risk of advanced prostate cancer, decreased with the amount and duration of medication use. 
While the potential mechanism behind decreased prostate cancer risk for diabetic men is currently unclear, it is very likely that the changes in endogenous hormone metabolism occurring in diabetes have an important role. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. As I mentioned at the top of the show, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And today we're going to shed some light on the third most common cancer diagnosed in both men and women in the U.S., uh, excluding skin cancers, of course. But overall, the lifetime risk for developing colorectal cancer is about 1 in 19, with a slightly higher risk in men than in women. But there are things you can do if you or a loved one is diagnosed with colorectal cancer. Uh, I am here today with Suzanne Lindley, a 10-year stage 4 colorectal cancer survivor, an advocate and a spokesperson for the Colorectal Cancer Coalition. Welcome, Suzanne. Thank you for having me. We also have Carly Bowman. Carly is the president of the Colorectal Cancer Coalition, or C3. C3 is a partner of the cancer support community and has collaborated with us to produce our Frankly Speaking About Colorectal Cancer educational booklet, which is a free resource available through both the cancer support community and C3, and we're going to tell you a little bit later in the show how you can get that piece. Uh, thanks for joining us, Carly. Thank you for having me. It's, glad, it's great to be back. We've got a lot to cover on today's show, um, so we're going to get started. I want to start with you, Suzanne. Um, I want you to take us back to the day you were first diagnosed with colorectal cancer. What, 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 what happened? What led to that? And, and, and what was it like for you to hear those words, you know, you have cancer? Uh, it was overwhelming, uh, total shock. We had been planning for another baby. Uh, the only symptom I'd had was anemia, and I had been anemic for a couple of years, and they kept giving me iron and, you know, just saying I you know, had two other small children at home, that I was overworked and, you know, fatigued like a lot of, like a lot of moms are and couldn't really get down to the root of the problem and having problems getting pregnant, and then they thought that um, some pain that I was having was a blockage from adhesions, so they went in to clean up the adhesions, and instead of adhesions, it was actually colon cancer, and it had spread to my liver, so we were totally, just totally shocked. Um, We were living the American dream, Uh, great marriage, adorable kids, stability, busy life, and a beautiful future in front of us, and it just all came to a complete standstill. Um, There was only one treatment available for it at the time, and they actually suggested that the side effects would be worse than any other time that I would be able to benefit from the treatment. And we didn't think about getting second opinions. We were just, all these emotions were crashing down, and we literally, you know, forgot to celebrate the fact that I was alive and started mourning the fact that I might not be here much longer. So um, didn't really experience anger, but there was a lot of confusion, sadness, scared. And so we put that date on the calendar, and, and six months you know, into it, thought that I would no longer be here. And that was now 11 years ago. Wow, amazing. So how old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 31 and should not have needed a colonoscopy for another 19 years. And how old were your children? Uh, they were 8 and 11. 8 and 11. Well, we're going to get to that conversation in a little while because that's obviously it's a, a you know interesting age for kids to be dealing with this, this in the family not you know not so young that you can say kind of you know mommy's got a tummy ache kind of thing but uh, not old enough for them to really understand all of it right. um, so when they told you uh, that you had colorectal cancer what was your what, what did they what did they say in terms of this is what we're going to do this is the treatment plan what did they say in terms of prognosis give us a little more detail about that well at the beginning they said they said that, you know, I had three spots in my so that they could visualize and that I would probably have a 
about six months left, and that they really didn't suggest chemo. 5-FU was the only thing that was available then. And so we basically stopped there. And I went online and found a listserv about colorectal cancer, and I started writing to it, and I just basically sent out a, I've been diagnosed with this horrible disease, and I need to prepare my children for how I'm going to die and for me not being here. And out of this wonderful list came Shelley Weiler, who uh, motivated me, and he said, you know, I'm older, I have stage 4 colon cancer, and they're treating me, and I have a daughter your age, and I would not let her give up without a fight. You need to get another opinion, and you need to stop worrying about dying. You need to start thinking about living. And so that's what we did. And a couple of doctors later, I started on chemotherapy and was able to buy time, and it's each, it was, it was a probably a really good time to be diagnosed because research was very rampant at that time and as each new treatment was developed I benefited from it and it started um, you know giving me longer quality of life and we started and quality of life and we started living more with it as a chronic disease instead of a terminal one Mm. and that was 11 years ago that was 11 years ago wow amazing story amazing story uh, Carly, t- tell us a little bit about your organization, the Colorectal Cancer Coalition. What is the uh, what is the mission of your organization? Tell us about some of the things that you do for people with colorectal cancer. Thank you. Uh, well, the Colorectal Cancer Coalition was founded um, in 2005. We're celebrating our fifth anniversary this year. And our goal is to change the colorectal cancer landscape, and we do that through legislation, research, and patient information. I, I like to see it as, you know, we, we're here for the patient every step of the way. We've got a, we've got our patient information program. Uh, we have a toll-free answer line that people can call to get answers to their question. We've got a, answers to their questions about colorectal cancer. We have a website with over 900 pages of patient information. We have a printed newsletter that we send out uh, free of charge to, to folks in our database. Um, and, and I see that as really being there when, when people are looking for answers. And, and you're always looking for answers no matter what stage you are in your, in your journey, but particularly for folks in the, early, in the early days of their diagnosis and just trying to figure out where they can turn. And, and we have, um, you know, up-to-date, medically-reviewed, accurate information that we provide to folks. Um, and then when they get past those first couple of, you know, months or maybe even years of just trying, of, of just what we see say is they're advocating for themselves. And this can also mean if you're a caregiver or a loved one, you're advocating for your loved one. And turning to the larger picture of, okay, how can I change the landscape, um, the larger landscape, so others don't go through this? And we're here again for them through our research advocacy and our policy advocacy. And we're on Capitol Hill, we're in research centers, um, and we're pushing for change. And we need advocates like Suzanne um, to help us to, to be our voice on Capitol Hill and in um, and on committees that oversee research because there are patient advocates that sit on these committees, and we train advocates to be those patient advocates that sit on these research committees throughout the country. And uh, Suzanne's story, obviously, Carly, is extraordinary. I mean, uh, you know, 10, 11-year stage 4 colorectal cancer yeah. sur- survivor. Do you, uh, you, uh, do you have other folks who are in, in uh, advanced stages of colorectal cancer who are also in your advocacy network? Yes, we do. Um, 
we have, um, you know, advocates that have been involved with us that have come to our, our lobby day, which I'm going to talk about in a little while. It's yeah. coming up later this month. Um, who have been coming, who have been involved with the organization, go and meet with their members of Congress, um, attend our research advocacy trainings, who are at every level, every stage of colorectal cancer. And a lot of them, um, a lot of them, which is quite hopeful, are are living with um, stage 4 disease. And, and like Suzanne, they see it as living with a chronic disease. Um, and, uh, and, and they're doing incredible things. And they have such powerful voices because especially someone like Suzanne who says, you know, I was diagnosed at a great time because research was rampant. I mean, she can go up to, to Capitol Hill and say, we need more money yeah. for colorectal cancer research because I'm alive today, 11 years later, because of research. Yeah, yeah. Are you, um, Suzanne, are you, in, are you in treatment now? Have you been in treatment for all of these years? I have been in treatment all of these years. I've had some breaks when there's been periods of stability, but for the most part it's been a um, a constant treatment, um, yeah. one, one treatment stepping stone to the next. And I've yeah. been lucky because those steps, those stones have kept turning. Yeah, yeah. And and we've just got a couple minutes until we go to our, our uh, first break here, Suzanne. But just tell us quickly, how did you hear about and get involved with the Colorectal Cancer Coalition? Well, I was on the listserv, and Kate Murphy, Nancy Roach, and Dusty Weaver were all on that. Um, Kate is a longtime survivor of colon um, cancer, and she's also just a wealth of information. Nancy would sit at night and um, help me write, and then as um, you know, C3 was materializing, Dusty said, you've got a powerful story. You need to tell it on Capitol Hill. Mm. And so he drug me up the steps of the Capitol, and here I am. Was that the first time you had done that? Oh, absolutely. I'm a housewife, was terrified, and I sat through the training session, and they started doing role play, and I literally slipped out and hid in the bathroom, and then the next day uh, actually went to the Hill and kind of sat through the meetings and got to meet um, Representative Henserling, and he listened to my story, and he was moved by it, and I knew it was making a difference, and I was hooked. What did it mean for you to be able to do that, Suzanne? What did it mean for you to be able to come to Washington with your story? Uh, to be able to tell that story and to know that um, the very thing that I'm surviving and to be able to know that other people can cover their butts and not go through this is just an incredible feeling. Yeah, yeah. And you have you met some other people from around the country who've had similar experiences to you? Uh, very many. Uh, it's been just, you know, I've been able to help other people, but then in turn they've helped me not only with um, research but with support, with ideals for treatment, and um, sharing our voices I think is one of the most powerful things we can do, and not, are only, you, not only on the Hill but at home too. And are you getting better at it year after year? you feel more confident? Oh, definitely. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a thrill now. It's a thrill. It is. And I should, if I may jump jump in and say that Suzanne is being overly modest. She has, um, on several occasions, I've witnessed it and I've heard about it secondhand, um, completely stopped conversation by by nailing a point to the wall with a senator. <laughs> so there's nobody better at it than Suzanne. Excellent, excellent. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer March's Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, um, and we are going to get to what you can do on Capitol Hill to help fight colorectal cancer. We will be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. 
how to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and to kick off the month, we're dedicating today's show to discussing a cancer that claimed the lives of nearly 50,000 people in the past year. I'm here with Suzanne Lindley, a 10-year stage 4 colorectal cancer survivor and colorectal cancer awareness advocate. We also have today Carly Bowman, who is president of the Colorectal Cancer Coalition. Uh, Carly, one of your organization, and I know it's the Colorectal Cancer Coalition, and we call you C3, mm-hmm. one of C3's most important initiatives is a campaign called Cover Your Butt, which Suzanne sort of started to refer to uh, before we went to our break. It's tied directly to your support of uh, H.R. Bill 1189, and I know we're starting to sound a little too technical here, so um, let's back up, Carly. Tell us about the bill. Sure. Tell us about the Cover Your Butt campaign, and um, let's get folks educated on this. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the Cover Your Butt campaign supports the legislation on Capitol Hill that would create a national colorectal cancer screening program. And the legislation on Capitol Hill right now is that bill number, H.R. 1189. And what it would do is, um, as I said, create a national colorectal cancer screening program that's modeled after a breast and cervical cancer screening program uh, that's been around for several decades now. And it provides color- it would provide colorectal cancer screening to um, the poor, uninsured, and underinsured between the ages of 50 and 64. So it's the 50 because that's when the guidelines suggest that colorectal cancer screening should begin, 64, which is um, the pre-Medicare age. Medicare, of course, covers colonoscopy already. So we're looking to cover those 14 years um, for folks who don't have access. Because this is what we know. Um, Before the breast and cervical cancer screening program was was enacted, 29% of women reported getting a mammogram. Today, it's over 70%. Um, and for, for colorectal cancer screening rates today, um, it's about 50% of people with insurance who should get screened do. 
but if you don't have insurance, only 15%, you, only 15% of people without insurance get screened for colorectal cancer. So we really obviously need to up those numbers, both for those who have insurance and are able to afford it, and especially for those who don't have insurance. Um, there, there's a real awareness out there that people need to get screened, um, but unfortunately, there isn't, um, there isn't a network of, of providers that will do the screening unless you have the resources to have it covered, which is where Cover Your Butt comes from. Um, so tell us about. So is the tell us how that campaign links to the bill. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. So the Cover Your Butt campaign is um, is this kitschy little idea that we came up with that would um, get people talking, frankly, about. Um, about colorectal cancer and about the need for screening. This is obviously one of those, you know, we, we joke at C3 that butts are the new breasts, that you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to talk about colorectal cancer. Uh, you're not allowed to say rectum, you know. And so we are just trying to put that out there and, and try to, you know, just address it and say, okay, we're talking about something that's a little awkward. Let's get over it um, because people's lives are at stake. So we have, we created the Cover Your Butt campaign. We have a website called CoverYourButt.org. And um, and when when uh, and and all of it all all of this is to support the legislation that to get this legislation passed. So what's involved in that is our lobby day, which is coming up um, later this month, where we're having um, a bunch of people from around the country, regular folks, people like Suzanne, um, some who have done this before and some who have never done this before, coming to Washington D.C. to get trained on how to have a productive and successful meeting with their members of Congress. Then they're going to go up to Capitol Hill and have those meetings, and they're going to lobby for this bill. They're going to say, you know, I whatever their story is, I have colorectal cancer, I lost my dad to colorectal cancer, I lost my husband. We have all sorts of people coming to this event, um, and this is why you should support this bill. And we have, you know. When, when is the lobby day, Carly? It's March 15th through the 18th. Uh-huh. And how and can folks find out about it? They, you can, well, it's, it's a little late to sign up for the actual event at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would suggest if folks want to come next year, definitely go to fightcolorectalcancer.org, which is our website, mm-hmm. um, or go, go to coveryourbutt.org to get more information about getting on our mailing list um, and learning about it. But if you're not coming to, if you can't come to call on Congress, yeah. on March 30th, we're having the Congressional Butt In, which is a phone blitz to Congress that you can do from the comfort of your living room. All you need is a phone, and we provide a toll-free number that will funnel you directly into your members' offices. All you need to know is your zip code. You don't even need to know who your members are. Um, and we'll funnel you straight to your, your members of Congress's offices, and we ask you just to urge them to support the, the, the enactment of a colorectal cancer screening program. And, Carly, while we're on it, can you just g- give us a little information about when people are supposed to get screened for colorectal cancer? What are well, the guidelines saying? Sure. The guidelines recommend that screening begins at age 50, and that's for folks with average risk. So um, that means if you're not exhibiting symptoms, if you don't have family history, then uh, and no other reason why you think you should get a colonoscopy or get any other of the kinds of tests that are available to, um, to detect colorectal cancer, then that should begin at 50. Um, if you're African-American, it should begin five years earlier. If you have a family history, you should speak to your doctor about when your screening should begin. Mm-hmm. Um, typically 
typically it's um, if it is a first degree relative, um, it's 10 years before their diagnosis. Um, that's why um, uh, Suzanne was mentioning that her daughter would get screened um, yeah. much younger than she, because since she was diagnosed at age 31, that her daughters would get screened in their 20s. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you, again, it's, if it's average risk, you have no reason to suspect that you would have colorectal cancer starts at age 50. If there are other circumstances, if you exhibit symptoms, if you have family history, if you're African American, um, then you should um, you should talk to your doctor about when when you should start getting screened. Now, and course, what I would also like yeah. to say is, if you're exhibiting symptoms, it's no longer a screening; it's a diagnostic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's I think that's an important point to make because you know sometimes people will go in exhibiting symptoms, but they're 25 or 35 or 45, and their doctor says you're too young to get screened. Well, but I'm exhibiting symptoms, so I actually need a diagnosis to tell me why I have these symptoms. Interesting, interesting. Now, of course, Suzanne told us earlier that she was 31 when she was diagnosed with colorectal cancer, and her symptoms would not be necessarily typical typical symptoms that might prompt somebody to do this. What do you, do you know, Carly, what percentage of people are diagnosed under the age of 50? It's, uh, you know, there are so many advocates that are that are involved with C3 who were diagnosed under, under the age of yeah, 50, but it's, yeah. still, it's still a small amount. Um, yeah. it's, it's still not a majority of the folks, and it's not even, frankly, close to being a majority of the folks, which sure. is why the guidelines still say start at 50, because they, they weigh the the risks of getting screened, um, which is always a risk when there's a medical procedure, versus the benefits. And, and 50 really seems to be the tipping point. Right. So most people, most people are actually diagnosed at much higher, uh, at a much older age than 50. Right. Um, but 50 is really sort of the tipping point. So it's not, it's not common to be diagnosed under, under 50. But it happens. But it happens. And that's right. why it's important to understand the symptoms and your family history. Yeah. And I, I've heard folks also, Carly, say that, Sure, you understand your family history, but I don't. I don't know what my grandfather died of, or, no. or my grandfather died when he was, you know, 28 of, you know, of the of the flu. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe he had, he would have had colorectal cancer if he had lived to be, you know, 50 or 60 or 70. So um, yeah, yeah, no, and you know, there's a real kick, there, you know, real push these days to understand your family history. Yeah. Um, and to, you know, when you're building your family tree, also find out what killed everybody. Yeah. Um, because there's a, a wealth of knowledge in there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Suzanne, you told us you're a housewife from Texas. I am. You were diagnosed at 31 with colorectal cancer. What motivated you to say, you know what, I've got to get, I've got to, get to Washington. I've got to get to Capitol Hill. I've got to tell my story. I'm going to become an advocate for this. You were diagnosed with, with stage 4 cancer. You've got, a, you've got kids at home. Um, what, what motivated you to t- take the time and make the investment to do that? Uh, a lot of it was the enthusiasm of the folks at C3. Yeah. Just, you know, convincing me that my story was powerful. Um, another aspect of it was that my dad had polyps at 39, and we had no idea that they could turn into cancer or that family history was important. And I wanted to make sure that others were aware that that was very important. Um, perhaps had we known, you know, my cancer might have been discovered earlier. Yeah. And my two little girls, I look at them every day, and I wanted to make sure that they never experienced what I did and that my grandchildren don't either. Um, my kids have gotten in, involved and are active, and they do the congressional butt in. And uh, it's um, pretty pretty exciting to watch uh, two 20-year-olds walk around in their cover-your-butt shirts and have people ask, and it does, <laughs> <laughs> it does um, create awareness. 
Um, my dad stayed diligent with um, his regular checkups because of my um, diagnosis, yeah. and I can tell you that um, you know he went in for his routine colonoscopy last year and found that a five centimeter tumor was there, and he had a resection. He's a living testimony that um, colon cancer is preventable, treatable, treatable, and beatable because yeah. it was found early. Now, I understand you've had a chance to, to spend some time with Senator Kay Bailey Hutchinson of Texas. Tell us how you, uh, you two met and how you've been working together to uh, raise awareness of this disease. Um, I've been on Capitol Hill and just started knocking on her door and sending faxes, telephoning, and over the years we've kind of built a relationship that um, I know that she's going to be a huge support for cancer issues and for increased cancer funding. Um, she and her staff know that when I write a letter or come into the office that we're going to be talking about colon cancer. And I think that that's raised a lot of awareness um, with her. I was there last year when she introduced the Kennedy Hutchison bill that renewed the war on cancer, and she mentioned my name twice um, when the fact that I have colon cancer. And she was wearing my Livestrong bracelet at that meeting. Wow. Um, also got to meet Senator uh, Kennedy, and that was probably one of the most memorable and treasurable moments of my life. Just incredible opportunity. Now, now, what do you what do you work on from between the times that you come to Washington and are up on the hill? What are you working on? Uh, it'll be, you know, C3 will send out an action alert, and then I'll get involved in, in whatever we're doing. And H.R. 1189 has been a huge focus um, throughout. I do a lot of advocacy with um, not only C3, but with um, Livestrong and the American Cancer Society. And, I, um, and yes, and just, you know, keep, um, keep the momentum going and make sure that everybody knows that you can live and, and survive and thrive fully, even with stage 4 cancer. You know, Carly, we've just got a minute or so until the break, but, but what do advocates like Suzanne mean for an organization like yours and for this cause? Well, they're the, the lifeblood of an organization like mine, but what Suzanne shows is that anyone can be an advocate and everyone's voice matters. And, you know, she made the joke that she's just a housewife from Texas, which I, of course, would never say that anyone's just a housewife. But um, <laughs> she, um, I mean, she is known on Capitol Hill, and she's, of course, very modest. But I can tell you that she really is a force. And on top of that and, and the, what she's been able to do on Capitol Hill and how well her legislators know her, um, she's a real source of inspiration and hope for patients. I mean, she is just a legend within the colorectal cancer community. And, um, and, and you know, all she needed was someone to help her find her voice. Right. It was always there. No one gave her any, any of this. She always had it. She just needed to be convinced that she could do it. Mm. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. Uh, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today we're talking about colorectal cancer. Um, it uh, March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, the Colorectal Cancer Coalition is doing some lobbying on Capitol Hill to raise awareness, to raise funds, to improve screening, particularly for the uninsured uh, and underinsured. We've got two great guests with us today. We're just going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. We all share similar desires, to be loved, to be happy, and to feel well. Your Inner Journey is here to support you, inspire you, and expand your knowledge of you. Tune in for new insights, meet our guests, get the inspiration you need to create the life you really want. Your Inner Journey with Penny Calcina is about her inner journey and your inner journey and the things that connect us all. Tune in every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for Your Inner Journey on 7th Wave Network. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo, and I'm here today with Suzanne Lindley, a 10-year stage 4 colorectal cancer survivor, and Carly Bowman, President of the Colorectal Cancer Coalition, or C3. We've been talking about uh, important actions you can take if you or a loved one has been impacted by colorectal cancer. Uh, we know that one in 19 people will be affected by the disease, and we want to talk a little bit about the support and resources that, uh, that are available to folks and how we're making some progress on the research front. But I also want to just mention in the last segment, uh, we talked about the fact that the Colorectal Cancer Coalition is having a lobby day in March, and uh, they're also having their congressional butt in on March 30th, and we're going to give you more information at the end of the show about how you can get involved. Uh, the group is also uh, supporting advancing um, uh, the House Bill 1189, which is to provide screening programs for the uninsured uh, and underinsured. So um, just want to give folks that background. And again, we're going to give you uh, more of a call to action at the end of the show and information about how you can get involved. Um, Carly, in addition to your advocacy work and the great stuff that you're doing on the Hill, um, the Colorectal Cancer Coalition also offers a lot of other services to uh, to patients. Can you please um, just run, run those through for us? Let, let folks know if they give you a call, what are the kinds of services, support, information that they can get from your organization? Yeah, we do. We have a great uh, patient information services program. Uh, probably the, the, the most successful program that we have is our, is our C3 answer line, and that's a toll-free number that people can call to get answers to their questions about colorectal cancer. Um, and that number is 877-427-2111. And you can also find information about it on our website at fightcolorectalcancer.org. And uh, what people get when they call the answer line, or frankly, even when they go to their go to our website, is information on their stage of disease, um, any resources that might be available to them in terms of um, financial resources, um, because obviously that's a big deal these days. 
and probably um, the majority of our calls, even if that isn't the initial reason that why they call, it always ends up coming up in the conversation because cancer treatment is expensive. Um, and people are really struggling to, to, to be able to get the best care that they can. Especially in this economy, I guess, huh? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, and so, and so we've, got, um, we've got some information. We've got resources. We have um, uh, relationships with other organizations that we can send you to, send a patient to. Um, and, uh, and, and so we, it really is a place just to get answers um, to any of your questions. Um, we also do um, clinical trial referrals, and we can work with patients to find out if there's a clinical trial um, that would work for them, um, and this is all information that we can provide um, at our answer line. On our, on our website at fightcolorectalcancer.org, we have all of that information plus um, a lot more. And as I said earlier, there's, we have over 900 pages of patient information on our website. And the reason we have so much is because we, we have what we call our, our, our policy uh, and our treatment and research blogs. And we also have a leading colorectal cancer oncologist researcher blogging for us as well. His name is Dr. Heinz Joseph Lenz, and he's um, out of California, and he's another one of those legends in the colorectal cancer community, and he blogs for us as well. And um, and so there's information. If you go to fightcolorectalcancer.org, there is fresh information up on the website daily. Um, and then we have our um, then we have an e-newsletter that we send out monthly. We have a printed newsletter that we send out um, four times a year. Um, that is also for that we send out free of charge to our to our advocates and patients in our database. Um, so there's a there's a ton of information. And the reason why we realized actually a couple of years ago we needed to create the answer line is because it is overwhelming and it's hard to know where to begin um, to look. And so if you go to the website, you feel overwhelmed. Call the answer line. You can email the answer line from our website. Um, and and we're, we're just here to help people get the answers that they need. Fantastic, fantastic. So, so, Carly, are we making progress in in the fight against colorectal cancer? Or do we are we seeing improved <coughs> treatments coming along? How are we doing in fighting this disease? You know, there, there really is a lot of exciting information coming out, um, and, uh, and and this is a hopeful time. Um, that being said, there's still a lot of work to be done, but um, probably the most exciting area of research is, is in the area that we call personalized medicine, um, and this is when a patient's genes are analyzed to see how effective a treatment might be, and, and I think that this is really, and I, I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here. I hear this from people much smarter than me. This really is the future of cancer treatment is this personalized medicine. Um, and uh, so for right now, for example, in colorectal cancer, yeah. um, patients with stage 4 colorectal cancer um, are tested to see if uh, a gene that's called the KRAS gene, that's K-R-A-S gene, is mutated or not. If it's mutated, we know the drugs that Im- impact the epidermal growth factor receptor, or EGFR is what m- pe- most people call it. Mm-hmm. And those are drugs that are called that patients would know as Herbitox or Vectabix. We know that if, if the gene is mutated, that those drugs won't work for you. Um, <clears throat> but if, we, if, we, if you get your, gene, your KRAS gene tested and they find out that it's the, what's the so-called wild type, then we know that Herbitox and Vectabix will, may work for you. Yeah. Um, it's a little complicated, but then there's additional research going into another gene that's yeah. kind of downstream from KRAS called the BRAF. 
Um, and you, you can imagine when they get a bunch of colorectal cancer um, researchers around, it's a real party. It's like an Yeah. And that's downstream from KRAS, and it's being studied to pinpoint even more clearly if Herbitex or Vectibex will work for you. So that's kind of the future. That's a little bit of the pipeline stuff right now. And then the other exciting news is actually for folks with um, who are diagnosed earlier stages, stage two, is this new test available called Oncotype DX for colon cancer. And it, it may prove to be predictive or prognostic for stage two. We're not quite sure how that's going to um, sort of play out, but it might sort of determine. We're not sure how it's going to determine, but it'll, it'll play, it could play a role in, in how you decide to get treated if you're diagnosed with stage two. Got it, got it, got it. So it's good to hear we are making some progress, but still more that needs to be oh, done. Oh, yes, absolutely. like the bottom line. Um, Suzanne, in addition to all of the um, work that you're doing on Capitol Hill and as an advocate, you've also been an inspiration to um, other people who are battling colorectal cancer. Tell us about how, that, how you're interacting with others, and I understand you have a, a, a project called Hope in the Sand. Tell us about that. Well, um, I think I may be an inspiration because my longevity has been so, so good. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, uh, I've had treatments that so many people sometimes don't even hear about, and so they hear my story and know that, um, you know, there are clinical trials out there, that there are other treatments um, that, that can help them turn another stepping stone. And that's really, really good. But anything that I've given back, I've gotten back tenfold. Um, yeah. Colon cancer changed my life. I mean, yeah. the direction, the meaning, the length, and everything. But without it, there's so many people I would have never met. And one of those people is a social worker at Cancer Care. And when things were really getting bad with my liver and the tumors were growing uncontrollably, I had gotten depressed. And he said, you know, um, life doesn't happen around you. It happens between your own two ears. And he said, you know, basically that means I could take this bad situation and let it tear me apart or I could let it build me up. And so I chose to, instead of being a victim of colon cancer, I wanted to be a survivor of it. And um, just before I had my surgery's procedure, he wrote a picture, um, took a picture, and it had him written on it, Hope in the Sand. And he said, all you have to do is look at this picture and know that you always have hope. Hmm. And so I not only used that picture for me, I started when other people would call and say, you know, things are getting bad, um, I don't know what my next treatment is going to be, then I would send them a picture of hope in the sand. And then I started getting pictures back. And literally from some of the darkest moments people have experienced, they found that hope. And I've got it pictures from Iraq, from Turkey, from Spain, Florida, Maine, Cozumel, and my daughter and some friends were able to go to um, Dublin, Ireland this summer, and we wrote Hope in the Sand together there. Mm. So it's this wonderful circle of support and a great word that um, is just kind of like a circle of circle of giving. Yeah. Wow. That's a wonderful story. Wonderful story. It's a beautiful um, picture. I bet. I bet. <laughs> I can picture it in my mind. Uh, Carly, before we go to the break, uh, Suzanne mentioned clinical trials and the importance of trials. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about uh, trials and why they are so important? Yeah, well, you know, today's treatments were yesterday's clinical trials, and it's important for people to realize that, that uh, that the treatments that we have today are because folks were a part of and willing to be a part of clinical trials that were testing out the, you know, the development of new drugs. Um, but what I would say is that many people think that clinical trials are only for people who are out of options when it comes to treatment, mm. but that's not the case. Um, there are a lot of clinical trials out there, 
and they're they're looking for folks um, at every stage of disease, um, and 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 they're trying out different. It's not always just about drug development; it's about drug improvement, um, you know, determining side effects and determining, you know, um, efficacy, and um, you know, and sometimes it doesn't even involve drugs. Sometimes it involves you know quality of life, and so um, prevention as well. Prevention as well. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Um, so there's a lot of clinical trials out there, and um, and I really encourage folks to to do it, you know, primarily for yourself because that's that's who you're in this fight for, but also for folks who are going to come after you in this battle and this journey. Um, and C3, you know, we can help folks find um, clinical trials that might be available to them. So again, right. it's, you know, calling um, calling the answer line at eight seven seven four two seven two one 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 or going to our website. Fantastic. And uh, again. Um, we are going to make sure we get all that information out to folks um, at the end of the show. Make sure you have the website uh, and the helpline so you can give a call uh, right away if you want to reach C3 and talk to some folks there. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer. March is colorectal cancer uh, awareness month, and we are talking about uh, uh, prevention, treatment, support, uh, advocacy when it comes to colorectal cancer. We're going to take a quick break here. We will be right back. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio, because shift happens. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tebaldo, and we've been having a great discussion with Suzanne Lindley, a 10-year stage 4 colorectal cancer survivor, and Carly Bowman, president of the Colorectal Cancer Coalition, or C3. Uh, we've covered a lot today. We've talked about uh, prevention. We've talked about treatment, clinical trials, uh, support, how you can get involved on Capitol Hill. Um, but I, I want to go back. I want to make sure that our listeners and those who are just joining us really uh, have the right information about um, the Colorectal Cancer Prevention, Early Detection, and Treatment Act, as well as the many activities that C3 has been organizing and will be organizing throughout this month, uh, March, which is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. Um, Carly, I want to go back. Tell us a little bit more about what's going on this month. Uh, tell us a little bit more about the, about the uh, act and um, what folks can do if they want to get involved in any of these activities. Well, uh, we have our call on Congress, uh, which is our, our grassroots advocacy training and lobby day. That's coming up March 15th through 18th, and that will be in Washington, D.C. And advocates will be coming from all over the country and getting trained on the legislation that we're talking about, H.R. 1189, that would create the colorectal cancer screen, national screening program. And then they're going to be going up to Capitol Hill, and they're going to be meeting with their members of Congress, their two senators and their one representative, um, and talking about the legislation and why it's important and asking for their support. Now, Carly, you said it's too late to actually sign up to come to, to D.C. Uh, for that, but folks can get on your list. They can learn about it for next year, um, but there are ways they can get involved by phone on March 30th. Is that right? That's right. The congressional button is ta- taking place on March 30th, and this is a, a one-day phone blitz that we're actually doing with a great organization called the Prevent Cancer Foundation, and um, it's it's an 800 number um, that people will dial into. They put in their zip code, and we provide some more instruction at that in a recording at that number, and it, they'll be funneled directly to their members' offices where they can urge their legislators to support this legislation that would create the National Colorectal Cancer Screening Program. And you can get more information about the congressional button um, at coveryourbutt.org. Um, but also, there, you know, we've, we're, we're, we're online everywhere on C3. We've got our website, um, but we're on Twitter. Um, our, our handle on Twitter is uh, FightCRC, and we're on Facebook as well. We're facebook.com slash colorectalcancer. And you can follow everything. If you're following us on Twitter, you can follow us through Call on Congress um, in the middle of the month, and you can follow us through the Congressional Button Day and, and read our tweets as we're, you know, as we get numbers in, as we find out who's, what offices are getting the most calls and what offices haven't gotten any calls. And um, so you can, we're, we're, you can really get involved with us online. Fantastic. Fantastic. And tell us again about... Um H.R. 1189, Carly? Yeah, H.R. 1189 is the House bill, and uh, and we're hoping soon to have a Senate companion bill with, with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would create a national colorectal cancer screening program in the country that would provide screening and treatment to uh, the poor, uninsured, and underinsured between the ages of 50 and 64. So you're saying that right now, those who are poor, uninsured, underinsured, between the ages of 50 and 64, only 15% of those people are getting a screening. Is that right? That's correct. And we know that when folks do get screened, the colorectal cancer is preventable, it's treatable, it's beatable. Is that All right? of those things, absolutely. Yeah. So we really, we've really got to jump yeah. in. 
and um, we've really got to jump in as citizens, really, yeah. and get involved in the March 30th uh, congressional butt-in and uh, work to get this uh, this legislation passed so that um, more folks can have access to life-saving screening. That's right. Um, and, and if I could add that, that, you know, colorectal cancer screening, colonoscopy is one of the very, 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 very few screenings that actually during the screening you can actually prevent the cancer because if they find a polyp, yeah. they can snip it out during the colonoscopy. That is cancer ended before it even starts. Yeah, critical, critical yeah. for people to know, critical. Um, uh, we're, we're getting towards the end of our show, um, and I want to ask both of you, and I'm going to start with Suzanne. Um, Suzanne, what would your advice be for someone who's just been diagnosed with colorectal cancer? Um, what, 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 what would you tell them? Uh, you're your very best advocate, and the most important thing an advocate learns is that he or she is never alone. Call the C3 answer line. Go to www.fightcolorectalcancer.org. Uh, join a support group. Meet others who are in a similar situation. Yeah. Learn as much as you can about your diagnosis. And most importantly, hold on to hope. Never, ever give up and cover your butt. <laughs> Fantastic. I want to ask you another quick question, Suzanne. Your, your kids were pretty young when you were diagnosed. You were young. Your kids were young when you were diagnosed with colorectal right. cancer. Just t- take, take one minute and tell us how you, how you talk to your kids about that diagnosis. In the beginning, we just, you know, let them know that I was sick, that they were doing everything they could to, to help me be better. Um, and, you know, they watched me go through times when it was difficult. And, you know, but then we started making every moment count. And we would do things that um, before a procedure, um, you know, we would do something special that night. And yeah. I had one time right before I had gamma knife, I, I was kind of scared that night, but I wanted to make it a magical night, and the full moon was out. So we went horseback riding under the moonlit sky mm. and got up the next morning and had my treatment, and, and all is well. And Fantastic. So, you know, making the most of now, I think, is the most important thing you can do. And it was the cancer that made you think that way? About now, yes, because I used to make all kinds of, you know, there were, you know, what car to drive was the most important thing and where careers were going and houses and things like that. And, and now it's it's the little things that matter the most. Yeah, yeah. And I watched both of them walk across the stage to graduate, and they both started college. So oh. pretty pretty incredible journey with colon cancer. Congratulations. Wow, that's fantastic. And more good memories to come, I'm sure. Um Carly, uh, you've been doing this job for a while now. You're uh-huh. talking to a lot of folks with colorectal cancer a lot, uh, across the country, uh, amazing stories like Suzanne's, um, obviously also dealing with a lot of family members and caregivers. Um, what advice would you give someone if they've just been diagnosed with colorectal cancer or if one of their loved ones has just been diagnosed? Um, what can they do? Well, I would I would tell them to to take time to catch their breath, um, to look to reputable organizations like C3s or the American Cancer Society um, to get more information, um, to get second opinions. Um, Suzanne talked about how important that was. Um, and, you know, and just reach out for help. You're not alone, like Suzanne said. The other thing that I would add, actually, um, is, is you, Kim, and I have both been a little modest in not talking about the Frankly Speaking About Colorectal Cancer book that we worked on together, which is a phenomenal publication, chock full of information about colorectal cancer um, that, you, that patients can get from C3 and from your organization. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. What about what about a second opinion, Carly? How important is that if you're not if you're not comfortable with what you're being told, if you're confused, if you don't necessarily feel like you like the doctor that you've gone to? Yeah. Um, what should folks do in that instance? 
well, you know, I think that um, your your medical care team becomes a part of your family. I mean, it becomes an extension of your family. Yeah. You have to feel comfortable with what the information they're giving you, and you, I, I believe, have to feel like they're listening to you, um, because you you have as much of a seat at the table in making your care decisions as they do. Um, so, so liking and feeling comfortable with your doctors, I think, are so important. What we recommend to folks when they call the C3 Answer Line, we never make medical recommendations or give medical advice, but what we do recommend to them is that they always get a second opinion from a comprehensive cancer center. Um, And these are the folks that are really leading you know, pushing the envelope when it comes to colorectal cancer research. And if you're, if 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 you um, get, get some second opinions about your treatment options and your future um, from someone um, at a hospital like that, they can generally work with your community oncologist. Um, if you know going to a center like that isn't really feasible for you, because there are they don't have them on every, on every street corner in the country. Right. Um, so getting a second opinion is key, and and getting a second opinion from a really good cancer center. Is is, is very important. And seeing a doctor who's actually an expert in colorectal cancer as opposed to sort of a more general doctor? Sure. You always want you always want the best of the best, especially when you're in the fight for your life. Um, right. You know, I mean, if you if you if you do research on on a plumber, why wouldn't you do you know research on the person who's got um, you know your literally your butt in their hands. So yeah. I would uh, I would take a lot of time finding the right person for you and, and getting a lot of feedback on the kind of work that they do. Right. And sometimes right. that can't be done in one or two opinions. It may take more than that. It may take more than that. Yeah. So you just have to you you have to get to your own comfort level. You have to get empowered. You have to as you said, Suzanne, be your own best advocate to get the information you need and have a team to help you uh, through these decisions. Um, I want to thank both of you for being guests on the show today. It's been an incredible show. I know our listeners have learned a great deal from both of you, and, and, and hopefully some have even been inspired to become advocates in their own communities and, and here in Washington on Capitol Hill. Um, if you would like more information about the Cover Your Butt campaign, go to www.coveryourbutt.org. If you'd like to contact the Colorectal Cancer Coalition and find out how you can join the fight against colorectal cancer, or if you'd simply like more information about their free services, you can call their answer line, uh, grab a pencil and a paper. Uh, That phone number is 877-427-2111 or visit www.fightcolorectalcancer.org. But last but not least, I want to mention uh, uh, our booklet uh, that we've developed with C3, frankly speaking about colorectal cancer. Uh, You can order your uh, your free copy. You can give us a call at 888-793- 9355. You can go to www.cancersupportcommunity.org as well to get a free copy of Frankly Speaking About Colorectal Cancer, a wonderful, very rich educational booklet that uh, the Cancer Support Community and C3 have developed. Remember, uh, follow our show, Frankly Speaking About Cancer, on Twitter. Get the latest in cancer in the news. Also, give us some feedback and uh, tell us what topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Uh, I want to dedicate the show today to everyone affected by colorectal cancer and a special uh, shout out to those who are advocating uh, on Capitol Hill for change at C3's Lobby Day. Um, uh, March 30th, call your members of Congress to butt in. Uh, Thanks for joining us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well.
thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. <music> 